I'm Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF Podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. On this episode of the GAF, we have Niv Tenabalan from Integral Insights. This is part of the entrepreneurial series. Now, Niv advises entrepreneurs and business owners. We talk about the traps, the stage growth for entrepreneurs, the rabbit holes they're going to run down, the sources of capital we need. We talk about the lifetime value of a client. It's a great listen and some great insights for you as an advisor, but also potentially for your clients. Welcome to another edition of the GAF podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Niv Tanabalan. Jeez, that was a mouthful, mate. It really was. But I think I got it from Integral Insights. So this series is talking about why be an entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial mindset, and we're going to call it the entrepreneurial series. But I thought no better way to start the podcast, but get the guy on who advises entrepreneurs from startup to exit. Uh, so Niv runs a great company called Integral Insights, but Niv, welcome, buddy, and I'll get you to give a bit of your background to help us out here. Sure. Mate, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. Such an honor. You know I'm a big fan of yours, and you've been so kind to me for such a long time, so I'm really, really thankful for being on. Um, so a little bit about my background. So I have been in private equity for the last 14 years. So essentially, for those who don't, for the initiated, uninitiated, um, what we do is we essentially invest capital into businesses and essentially help them accelerate their growth. That's essentially the gameplay. So after spending about 14 years in that space, what I've realized is there are quite a few businesses that are prematurely essentially trying to raise capital or prematurely trying to scale before they're ready. And most of the time we've discovered that the advice you're getting isn't the best. So I decided that it's probably time that I switch forces and help the, <laughs> join the forces of the entrepreneur and help them essentially skill up, build the infra- infrastructure necessary, and essentially be a lot more prepared as they go into that journey. Oh, that's great, mate. So we're going to talk about you know the entrepreneurial mindset. We're going to talk about problems and traps, the stages of growth, what types of capital they need, the lifetime value, the lifetime capital value of these, these businesses. And then you know why the advisory boards, and so we're going to cover a range of range of range of topics. But you know, just between the two of us, it's like, wow, why would you be an entrepreneur? Why would you start a why would you start a startup? And, and the journey that you go on. Oh mate, I again, it's for for the ones for a lot of the entrepreneurs we work with. I feel it's really a calling. It's yeah. it's something. It's it's fundamentally irrational to want to put yourself through what the journey is likely entail, but for a lot of the entrepreneurs we work for or we help, they just have this idea, this vision that they just can't not get out. So they do whatever is necessary to do it. And our goal is essentially to make sure they understand what that path is going to be and do everything we can in our power to prepare them for the journey and give them all the resources they need. Oh, that's great. I've got this vision of an entrepreneur in a, a, a rowboat rowing along and it springs a hole and they've got to row with one arm and put the finger in the hole of the boat as the water's coming in. They keep rowing again. There's another hole and it's, you know, they're towing the big ship behind them. Mate, that's a great analogy. And and and, and I think 
the example you gave covers two real points. One is you got to keep going regardless. You're going to have to get to the other end. And the other key is you're going to have to be adaptable. You know, the holes are going to come in where the holes are going to happen. And your job is as best as possible. Prepare for them up front with the tools you need. But you're going to have to be willing to, like, learn on the fly as you go. Because the markets, the market and reality, they just do what they do. And you need to be able to respond. So, Niv, let's just talk about uh, your role or the role of people like yourself about for an entrepreneur, they've got an idea, they've got a concept. And then they go, right, what do I do with it now? Yeah, well, I'm going to get yeah. started or I could have been working on it for a few years. It was a side hustle for a while and now I'm going to leave the main job and, and, and go down this journey. So that's that's usually the earlier stage players that, you know, we, we that's not majority of who we support, but we do support them every now and then. So the first step for those guys is what we call, we need to validate that your idea actually works in real life. And we just essentially... I mean, the core of it is sell, sell, sell. Okay, you have an idea, you have a potential target market you want to sell to and essentially help facilitate solving a problem. So you just need to go out there and just sell it and see what the response is. Proof of concept. Exactly. And the key for most entrepreneurs is the, the biggest mishap during this phase is they want to get the perfect product. No such thing. No such thing as the perfect product, especially not if you're trying to create them in a vacuum. Your goal is to get your product in the hands of consumers as quickly as possible and to get that feedback loop going, right? So the key here is just volume over perfection. Yep. That's always the key. And is there, you know, my good friend Fitz, Fitzsimons always says to me, get it 70% right. I, to be honest, man, I would I would even go lower than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy if you know you find some really friendly customers. You'd be really upfront with them that this isn't the finished product, but we're trying to solve a very specific problem for you. Would you mind like being our beta testers, you know, and then essentially get them on board? So that's the goal. The goal is to just get as much input as quickly as possible, so that you're not building in a vacuum. Actually, that just raised another good point. Do you think most entrepreneurs go? have a start point of what's the problem I'm trying to solve or they just have a good idea and go, I'm going to market with the idea. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many of them start with the latter, essentially yeah. going, Oh, I, I think this must be a great idea. So I'm just going to go. Yep. And, and to your point, if you start the other way around with the problem you're trying to solve, you're more likely to have a lot more success doing that. Yeah. Right. Great. So we've got, we've got proof of concept now. Yeah, and now we're looking yeah. around, going, oh, oh, uh, what's my, uh, what's my curve here? What's my trajectory? What's the runway look like now? And I'm so, now I'm going to start to panic. Yeah. So now that Niv, people, Niv, <laughs> so now so now we got a proof of concept going, and people are buying. Right now, the question is, what's the next step? Do we need to still validate further, or can we now scale? And again, this varies from business to business and all the capital requirements. But the two things that I try to get them to focus on is, have you identified who your ideal customer is? Because again, you could sell something to many people, but if you really hyper-target your ideal customer, they generally were willing to buy more at a higher price. So that's usually the the key component. Mm, Once you started, exactly. So once you, you identify that the client you're trying to capture is the best one, then the question you need to answer is, what do you need to do to just capture more of them? 
and without you know I'm, I'm sure there's all quite a few phases in between here and what i'm about to say yes but it generally comes down to okay what are the resources i'm going to need and resources generally especially at the startup phase they come they're essentially two pieces people money yep. that's that's the thing because if you have the product that works you either need the people to execute and you need the money to keep you sustained till you achieve some kind of break-even trajectory right yeah. so, so yeah. Yeah, so so let's that's going to lead us into sources of capital then, and and what capital do we need at what stage of the journey, Niv? So in the earlier stages, you want friendly money, friends and family, friends and family always, and and the and here's why. So just people don't understand that you're just going through, like you know, close friends and all for no reason. The reason why is one, they are more patient. So so especially when it comes to capital, patience. The, key because you're still figuring stuff out until yep. you hit about three four million dollars in EBITDA uh, sorry in three four million dollars in revenue you're still very much in the early testing figuring out phase so you want the people along the journey to be able to be patient with you without putting too much pressure on you right but the good thing for them is if they get in early they're going to get disproportionate returns when you perform down the track so at the earlier stage friends and family is is critical. Now, once things are more validated and you you, you know there's there's more predictability in the business, that's when you you can get more sophisticated investors. So in these phases, you can think about angel investors, um, VC capital. Sometimes is quite useful. And then what I've noticed recently is there's quite a few like thematic funds where they are targeting very specific niches within a certain space. So they're usually VC-ish capital, but they're a little bit more patient. They understand the more specific markets very well. And then they'll be like, okay, we're happy to be a lot more patient with you. And the good thing about these kind of funds, especially with the higher the sophistication, you'll get more expertise as well. Right. So so there was two or three questions come up for me just in that, in that the angel investors or the VC funds, like, how do they value your business or how, you know, like it's such a, how long is a piece of string for me to put the money in at what valuation point? And then secondly, you're talking about patient capital uh, in terms of a time frame. is that in terms of private equity versus uh, angel investors? Can you, if you just expand on a couple of those points? Sure. Let's start with the second one first. Yeah. So, so when it comes to time horizons, VCs are usually more patient capital. The reason being is they understand that they're investing early in the cycle and they, they're happy to wait through several more iterations of this. Their, their whole periods are between the, you know, the 10 to 15 year range. There are generally those kind of ranges. And again, I'm, I'm obviously speaking in general terms. General here, terms. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, to it. yeah. And then for private equity, um, so private equity is a little bit shorter because a private equity kind of fund generally has a 10 year lifespan with five years invest and then five year investment period. So they're the way they're thinking is between five to seven is the average, with you know some willing to tolerate maybe up to like 10. But you know, they their sweet spot is usually between the three to seven year range is where private equity, you know, likes to play. And sorry, that just leads me on again to angel investor and family offices who start to play in this space. Yeah. So angel investors and family offices, they the pros for them is they are very they're more patient than those two categories again generally yep. they're, they're they're more patient but what they don't offer though is 
skills. So they generally are, okay, here's my capital. That's, that's all I have to give you. Whereas with private equity, they generally, good private equity houses offer not only just the capital, they offer the networks, and sometimes they even offer opportunities to either bolt on to their other portfolio investments. They also offer opportunities to go to like other private equity, uh, private equity houses, which are higher. So, you know, there's more to it that comes with the private equity house. Whereas with VC, they will also help with experience and networks and connections with, you know, other VC players and other uh, fund founders. And I think for the entrepreneur, it's, it can be really undervalued that door opening that, that those investors can bring and some of the doors they can open to really rapidly expand your distribution. Absolutely. And, and that's why knowing before you raise capital, you need to understand what you're trying to achieve, right? So if you're, if you're looking, if you're, for example, really well-established, you've got your business, everything's already running and humming and all you need is more capital then like, you, you know, you want to consider family offices first, mainly because you just need capital and they're generally patient and they're not, the reporting requirements aren't too onerous, right? But if you're someone who's on a really heavy growth trajectory and you need some expertise, for example, to expand to different regions where networks are really required, maybe private equity and VCs are important to that. Or if you're maybe starting a SaaS company and you need you know, access to other kind of skills and other kind of like experience points, then maybe a VC is more your, more your style. So being very clear on what you need in the near term for your business is should be how you determine the investors, not the other way around. And do you think that's part of your skill, Nib? Because I've just got that feeling that a lot of entrepreneurs aren't very clear. They've got it up. They've got it going. And they're not sure. They're unconsciously incompetent, actually. I'd call it that. No, that's a great, great way of putting it. And, and a big part of our job is to essentially test, retest, and then retest again that the, the intentions of the entrepreneur is really what they're actually looking for. Because nine times out of 10, they keep thinking that it's, you know, oh, I, I just want to grow quickly, when instead it's a whole different profile. They are looking to exit the business, but they think the only way they can exit is to grow it aggressively first. So there's many ways to skin this cat, but first thing you need to do is to be very clear on what you need to achieve then the rest is followed out. I've just got this vision of you somewhere between an analyst, a coach, and a counsellor, a life counsellor in there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm actually going to steal that and start putting it on my, on my LinkedIn board. <laughs> so, so let's talk about some of the, the problems and traps that you see with the entrepreneur, where they get caught up in their own stuff possibly. or Sure. So I think, I think you've got six or seven of them up your sleeve. I do. I do. So I think the first, first one is wanting to scale too quickly, you know, without, you know, we just trying to grow quickly without like a clear plan and direction that's problematic for various reasons. But the most important one is you always end up being undercapitalized and under-resourced and you only discover those situations when it's, <laughs> when, when it's too late. When you're, when you're up to your eyeballs in it. And that exactly. is the nature of the entrepreneur though, isn't it really? Yep. Exactly. So, so my, my job is to fully appreciate where they're trying to grow to and what they're trying to achieve yep. and then come up with a set of game plan, like a proper game plan to essentially safely navigate the terrain, yep. right? It's not, the issue is not that you want to grow to that 
stage is that you want to make sure that you cover your bases and close your gates yeah. before you do that. Perfect. I can. I, that's the visual of risk manager that I like. Yep. Absolutely. And I think the 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 other one, which is probably the most important for for entrepreneurs, is feeling that you need to do it all yourself. That is the number one issue of how companies like struggle to scale. You as as entrepreneurs, you once you've kind of like got your base level kind of functions ready you the, the skill the skill set just switches over when you're now about acquiring talent it's suddenly like it, uh, some for some entrepreneurs it almost happens overnight like yep. you know one minute you're the guy That's making it. this yeah you one minute you're the guy making the sales calls and now you have to train a sales team yep how are you going to go do that so that's that's where that's- the other thing and that's a really interesting phase too for an entrepreneur. I think they can go through a bit of a lost phase there for a while. Absolutely. Their mindset to go, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and again, for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially early stage, the business is their identity, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's you. Yeah. Being the rainmaker, being the guy or girl who just makes it all happen, that's your identity, right? So trying to essentially help them understand that the goal here is to for the business to grow. And sometimes it requires you to let certain things go and trust the people you have around you. And that's a process. It takes a minute, but very few entrepreneurs I know who've gone through this process have regretted it. Yeah, great. What other traps do you see? So the other one is then deciding that you need to raise capital yep. before actually figuring out what you're going to do with that capital. <laughs> Good. So get the, start to think about your capital early. Or Correct. Not, well, sorry, the trap is to think about it too late. Correct. So, so the way I try to tell people when it comes to raising capital is this. When you come up with your game plan, you structure your future trajectory, and you're trying to satisfy all the things you want to do, the answer of whether you should raise capital and how much you should raise should just drop out of that equation. Right. It's 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 the it's an afterthought after you've done all the legwork up front. Right. So when people come up to me, it's going like, oh, I need to raise ten million dollars. Great. How are you going to what are you going to do with it? Oh, we're just going to you know, it's going to help us, you know, be, you know, it's going to help us run for like about two more years and then we should be able to go do something. That's when I know they've done it the other way around, because you should be very clearly tell me. During this phase of this phase, we're going to spend X amount of capital. We're going to get to this trajectory. And the reason why this trajectory is important for the business is because now it gives us a platform to do that. And then, so so then it's a a different conversation entirely. And I think uh, from an investor point of view, you want to get that number right because you don't be knocking back on the investor's door in two years' time saying, oh, I need some more money. Absolutely. And and the thing people don't consider as well is sometimes you'd be knocking on the investor's door and then taking a hit on devaluation on top of that. So the, the said investor you're asking for money is now going to be giving you more money after they've lost some money already. Not a pleasant conversation. <laughs> not, a pleas- not a pleasant conversation. <laughs> and and um, one that's close to my heart is, you know, what stage does the founder need to get out of the road? Ooh, that's a, that's an, that's a very interesting one. Um, it's both se- several things. So first is usually um, life stages is a really important phase. So sometimes founders, especially once you know they've they're pretty much achieved their key goal for what 
they wanted to do for the business. That's usually one of the phases, you know, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm done for how long, how far I've pulled the business. I think it's now time for someone else to step yeah, in. To That's usually heavy, someone else to do the heavy lifting. Exactly. The next phase. Exactly. And then sometimes it's also like life circumstance where they're like, okay, you know, my kids are now in high school and I want to spend more time with them. And, you know, that could be another driver for that. Or sometimes it's like, they're just, okay, I think I can affect change much better at a strategic level. And they might leave that business and then start another one. Seen that happen a few times too. So it really depends. That, that, that kind of, that evolution of stepping out is very founder dependent. Yeah, I saw. I just saw run a friend of mine in a similar industry to me, and he he just uh, announced his not retirement, but stopping being in the business. And it, it it almost appeared like it was I've run out of energy, and it's now affecting my health and my family and everything else. Trying to drag this ship, it's like when do you call it quits yeah. and let somebody else take over? Yeah, that's yeah, that's also another one of those things. And and the thing is, especially with the scaling business, sometimes energy is underappreciated as a resource from founders mm. and they just keep pulling themselves pull 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 up to a point when they just can't pull anymore so that's why we spend a lot of time making sure founders are thinking about resourcing and their level of engagement very like very early on no great i like that now lifetime capital value LTV, lifetime value of a, of a customer, yes. Tell me about that because I, I love it. I, I really love it, but I want you to explain it to our listeners. Sure. So lifetime value is a metric we use for a lot of our businesses to measure essentially how long a customer will stay with you and how much value they kind of uh, provide to your business over time. And the reason why it's important is it gives you a lot of insight with just a single metric. First, obviously, it just tells you how much, how valuable a customer is over time. And then on top of that, it also helps you identify parts of your customer stack, which could be more valuable, less valuable, which forces you to then go and investigate, hey, why is this part of the stack so much more valuable? Can you give me, give us an example of that, of an industry Perfect. you've worked in? Okay. So let's just, I think gyms are always the best example of this. Right. So, yeah. So for example, you, you, you're a gym owner, you run the gym, and obviously a lifetime value of all your clients on average, let's just say, is about, you know, 2000 bucks. let's just say, over a lifetime. Okay. Yep. On average, I'm just pulling numbers here. Yep. But let's just say there's one demographic, for example, that is now $3,000 lifetime value. And then you use, usually when you investigate, you find out a couple of key traits. For example, it'll be difference in the age category or how much college ed- are they college educated or, or do they have disposable income? So then, so when you start identifying these kind of criteria, then you start being able to target your marketing to specifically those kind of clients more and increase the concentration to those specific clients. Narrowing down to your specific market. So when you say lifetime value, is that the lifetime of revenue they bring in or is it the capital value, depending on your industry that it would be valued at? For we generally focus on the gross profit they bring in over right. over life because you know because it just allows us to compare that metric across different business lines as yep. well. So that's why we generally try and focus on gross profit and buy client from inception to exit. Yeah. So with, with the gym, you're you're going you know, making it up, but you you're after the thirty year old male who's 
going to pay the premium for the gym, but he's going to buy other services from you. Correct. Going to refer all his friends. Correct. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It'll, be, it'll, it'll be that. And sometimes, and women, and women actually and we, in that category, sure. category actually is actually a large driver for that because yeah. they actually tell people more. Ah. And yeah, so they actually tell people more. So, so women as, as well, like in that category, especially in gyms, really, really help, really helpful when it comes to that kind of demographic targeting. But of course, you can expand this to everything from um, like for us, we have a data management as a service client. So they offer like, you know, big B2B businesses, how to manage their data. Now, depending on the kind of customer they're engaging, different profile entirely that you could be charging on LTV. Like, is this client, what is this client's pain point? Is it purely because they're trying to avoid a loss as in, you know, making sure that no data breaches or are they looking to capitalize and expand their revenue base from doing it? So depending on on that level of granularity, you can identify from an LTV. I just had a smile to myself. I just saw the new gyms being out there called Bump for Pregnant Women. Yes, sir. Is that you? Are you involved in there? Yes, I am. It's, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm leading the witness. Maybe I did know that. <laughs> but that's a great example, isn't it? It is a great example. And and again, like that's one of those businesses that we were so you know, it was such a no-brainer to start supporting because really good defensibility from a thematics point of view, because pregnant women are going to continue, there's just that demographic is going to continue to grow. And there's limited services available for that specific part of your life. And they need very specific solutions to do that. And you need skilled people to deliver that solution. So it was just a no-brainer to it have It was them tick, tick, tick all the way through. All the way through. And and again, we've, we're only about... And, and creating a community. Oh, the community part is what I personally underestimated, to be honest, until I visited the site. Yeah. Just how it is after classes and how women who, you know, by their admission, I haven't spoken to a single human being for the last two days. Yeah. And this is where I get to talk to people who are experiencing something similar to what I am. Yeah. So it's, I definitely un- underappreciated initially until the founders uh, set me straight. And that uh, lifetime value, lifetime capital value, you can do that across any industry, any industry, any business, mm. which is why we, we, which is why we like it. Um, the, the goal is here is to make sure you calibrate it appropriately to the business and you make sure you're measuring it against the right kind of comparables. But yes, as a metric, big fan of it. Big fan. Yeah, of it. Perfect. And um, I just see this, uh, I just see the value of what you talk about with the entrepreneurs that they're going, right, here I am, I'm going this way, <laughs> but we need some other noise around us. Yeah, it's almost like a sense check. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, I, I found the biggest mistakes generally are made when they're just done in a vacuum. Yep. So I think the biggest mistakes you'll ever make as an entrepreneur is because you're just doing it without just validating it's the right decision, right? And 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 again, the thing with entrepreneurs, especially at this stage, is that a single mistake can be quite catastrophic. You know, when when you're yes, when you're bigger, it's not that much of a problem. But when you're smaller, good things happen big, but bad things just as big. So this leads me to when you're when you're in startup or those early growth phases and capital's tight or cash is tight. They're quite reluctant to bring on advisory board or other people to help them because they just haven't got the cash. Yeah. 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 No. All, I, all I, the heads, all the headspace, but I think it's a combination of they haven't got the headspace to take 
other advice, but also they haven't got the cash to pay. Yeah, that that is that is a headache when, especially when you're trying to, you know, when you're cash strapped, and that's why for a lot of the advisors I know, they're a lot of them are open to taking an equity sleeve or equity check for a potential payout. And again, all you have to stipulate is, you know, how long you're expecting the advisory to last for and what specific advice you're looking for. What I would suggest is for founders during this phase, get get the advice that you require for that phase. You know, so be specific mm, in what kind good. of, yeah, be specific yeah. in the advice you're looking for. So yeah. even it can be as specific as, okay, I am trying to scale my sales process, but I don't know how to do sales. So get a sales advisor, get someone to sit through with you and do your calls with you and run through your sales script. It's, I, I, I believe in going as granular as that. Yes. And, you know, and, and be very clear where the next point of friction is, because that's essentially all the entrepreneur journey is. You're literally just bouncing onto the next point of friction, right? So identify clearly what your point of friction is yes. and get the advisor for that. And again, a lot of them are flexible on things like, especially with startup advisors, they're flexible on things like payment terms, um, equity or anything like that. They're quite open to different kinds of arrangements. Yes, which is then for the entrepreneur, you know, for the founder to go, oh, well, how do I value this now <laughs> to give away some equity? Because it's very, it's very expensive form of capital to, to give is, away, possibly. But no, I mean, no, it, it, yeah, yeah, and 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 that's where again, that's the tricky part for founders. Like you know, as a rule of thumb, and and again, general advice here, as a rule of thumb, look to the look to other businesses that are similar in your kind of cap in your universe in your industry yep. and look at how they're valuing the business like especially at the startup phase most businesses run off a val- uh, a revenue multiple again because you don't have any profits yes. so, so revenue be revenue yep correct so you know just understanding what what your what the range is in your industry because they can range quite widely and then and essentially then making an assessment and again up at the end of the day the advisor who's saying yes or no he'll need to agree on that valuation too, whatever the valuation is. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't spend like years and years trying to figure out the valuation. No, no, yeah. You just need to get on with it. But I think that's the other point that you really advocate right from startup. They need to have, you know, some advisory or some advocate around them. Absolutely. But I I love your point about make it very specific about that phase and what they need. It's not general. Yes, absolutely. That at this stage, you're not looking for a generalist. Mm. And and a couple of other things I can offer that could be helpful is just understand that there are, you know, there are fractional advisors too, where they, you know, they're very much like, okay, I don't need to be here all the time, right? You need two calls with me per month. That's not going to be too expensive, right? Like even if it just says the super super heavy hitting advisor, right? Yep. That's you know, let's just say he's charging fifteen hundred dollars an hour. Yep. And which is rare, but let's just say you are at right, $1,500 an hour. That's $3,000 a month for very specific conversations that you should be able to traverse within three months, right? Whatever the issue may be. So, you know, and by that stage, the business would have transformed as well based on yeah. good advice. So, you know, that's how I would think about it. Like, you know, be very specific. And once you transform whatever the advice is supposed to do into something executable, you know, that should be a material outperformance to the business. So let's just quickly, uh, I want to cover off a couple more things. Exit. 
yeah, I'm the entrepreneur, we're in a growth phase, but, you know, ideally we want to exit at the top of the bell curve, yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the goal is to get as much money as possible for your business, right? So, so a couple of things when it comes to exit. We, the more interest you can generate from a potential buyer universe, the more value you're likely to get. So if your business is well-structured, there's very little chemo and risk. That means if you leave, nothing happens to the business. Um, there are, they are both an attractive candidate for a potential investor, like a private equity or a, um, or a you know, later stage VC fund, or if they're also a great bolt-on to another company, you know, the more options you have to exit, the likely the higher the valuation is gonna be for your business. Yeah, and I always uh, have this lovely chat with people exiting around. Well, I reckon I can sell the business myself. You know? Don't do, don't do that. <laughs> like, like, like my my recommendation is just don't do that. There's so much in that process, from everything from making sure that you've got all your I's and T's crossed and dotted, from everything on making sure that the investor potential investors or buyers in that process is well managed well engaged because the last thing you want is to try and exit and then not actually exit and or be heavily discounted oh or worse that's the, that's yeah. even a worse outcome right so it's it's such it's 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 one of those things especially if you got a good business spend the money to get the right kind of advice especially when it comes to exiting because again it's a one time it's likely a one time event for most people mm. This is not where you want to save money in. This yeah. is not the spot to do it. Yeah, this is not your skill set. No, don't. Yeah. And it's and it's honestly with even with support, capital raise anybody any anybody who's done capital raising will tell you capital raising and exit processing, even with support, is a very harrowing experience because you have yeah, to yeah. do that while running a business. It's, it's no joke. It's tricky, it's awkward, there's lots of tension, there's deal fatigue, there's personalities, ego. Deal fatigue. It's a real thing. Yeah, like yeah. it's a real thing. And I and I and I think, you know, your yeah, like your kind of lens and how you, you you know you talk about, especially around these things, the nuances around like deal making is really important. Because there's a lot to it that people just think, oh, I'll just, you know, put it on the yeah. market and and hang up a shingle and full sale. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and and unfortunately it's it's not like that. It's it is getting more efficient in the market for sure. But it's not that efficient. And now, Niv, you, you just um, posted something I wanted to mention about, which was Warren Buffett's keys to success. There's a couple of lovely points in there. One was about incentivizing staff and getting very clear. But uh, where, where do you land on that? Where? So one thing I feel, especially with staffing, is to make sure the expectations are crystal clear. You can never be, you can never over communicate what your expectations are to your staff. And the other thing is you want to incentivize people for the behaviors you want to see, right? So you need to make sure that if person X does the behavior, they're rewarded for it. And, and those are the two key things when it comes to, um, when it comes to people. You just want to make sure they're in- incentivized correctly and they know exactly what they need to do. No, I love that. And uh, I think uh, there's a piece around integrity as well in the process. Oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and again, it's it's funny because I, I always feel like the integrity part is a given for me specifically. Because yeah. if you don't have that, 
me and, and again, no judgment on anyone else, but me and you are probably not going to be working together because yep. it's, it's paramount. Like it's, it's, it's such a high leverage kind of skill and thing to be being integrity. It can be hard work. Yeah. It can be hard work, but the value, the dis, you get disproportionate returns from being a person of integrity. I feel like, is this worth the effort and worth the time? So Niv, we're going to finish this up now. There's been some gold in there, mate, around traps for the entrepreneurs and the sources of capital. You've helped us uh, look through that, you know, the the smoke and mirrors of all of that, <laughs> the lifetime capital value. That's really great. The advisory board, how to structure that. So what, what's the rest of the, you know, if I look for the next 12 months for you, what's I always like to ask people, if you had to put one word on a rock, which would be the lens that you see life through, what would that be for you, my friend? Oh, that's a really, really good question. So if I had to put something onto a rock. One word, on a rock. Congruency. Congruence. Ah. What's that mean to you? So for me, it's being very clear about what you're saying and making sure you just do what you say. And I feel both from founders, from founders, from investors, the more we have of that, it's going to be a clear differentiator. Oh, that's brilliant, mate. I really love that. Thanks for your time, buddy. I know it's been a short and sweet, but I, I reserve the right to bring you back on. But Niv, um, people can find you on LinkedIn because I love the stuff that you post on LinkedIn, mate. It's very, very good. It's very well thought through. Thanks, so, buddy. Yeah. yeah, no, LinkedIn's the best place to find me. And uh, my DMs are open. So if anybody needs anything, feel free to message me straight on, on, on LinkedIn. Great, buddy. Well done. Thanks awesome. a lot. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks for listening to the GAP podcast. We've now developed the Essentials Package for advisors. It's the collaterals video and training for you to work in this high net wealth space. Also, we're running a course for those who want to work with significant families and significant individuals. For more information, go to thegaff.com.au.